You're listening to my white belt, the best jujitsu podcast in the world. Enjoy. Thanks for that, Uncle Joey. This is your host, Jim Trick. You are tuning into the My White Belt Show. Tuning in like it's an AM radio and it's 1978. You're here. You're on your phone. You're in your car. You're listening to this on your computer. I don't know. If you had told us all, you know, 20, 30 years ago that you were going to be listening to radio shows on your phone that were going to be shot to you from satellites, you would have told everybody that you were crazy. And if you had told me 20 years ago that I was going to be talking to you about training Brazilian jiu-jitsu and the life-changing impact that it has had on me and you, and if you had told us that we were going to be doing this, we probably would have thought you were crazy or I was crazy or that the idea of doing this was, was crazy. So, but here we are, here we are, we're doing this. You train. Listen, if you're listening and you don't train, forgive what I'm about to say because, you know, God bless your soul. You're sort of on, you're, you know, you're the little, you're the little fat kid looking in the bakery window, wishing that you could have a piece of pie, but you're just standing outside the bakery. For the rest of us that are in the bakery, for the rest of us that get on the mat, and train and do this thing, can you believe that we get to do this? Like, can you believe when you're having, I know we don't do this to brag. I, I know that I know that for most of us, training jiu-jitsu is a pretty deep practice. And at the same time, when you're at a holiday gathering and people, or you're, or you're in a situation where you're, you're meeting people and they're like, well, what do you do? What are you into? And they say, you know, I do this, that, or the other thing. What, what's your deal? Oh, jujitsu. And, you know, let's face it. There's a lot of people who think that, who think they were doing Taekwondo or something else. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But for the people in the room that know what jujitsu is and they don't train and they look at you and they go, wow, wow, that's cool. I'm get as as it becomes more popular and as beco- people become more aware of it. I don't know. Maybe it's the insecure part of me that just needs to have my ego stroked. But I I think it's fun to be able to say that you know our passionate pursuit is this incredible martial art that we devote so much time to. So I'm glad you're here. This is good. I feel like we're back. I feel like we're back in a groove. I, our guest today is is Professor Tom Corey who. Man, if this if this guy doesn't get you off your couch and onto the mat, I, I really don't know who I don't really don't know who will. I mean, he's 75 years old and he just got his black belt. And he's got he just has this incredible story. He's a two-time All-American. He had done other martial arts, played football, he, he you know, for his university. He he's in the in in the in the athletic hall of fame I think for throwing hammers. I don't know anything about sports. I didn't even really know you could throw a hammer, but apparently he has thrown a lot of hammers and he's real good at it. So, I don't want him to throw a hammer at me. I also don't want him to armbar me cuz he's a black belt. He's Professor Tom Corey and he's here to talk with us. This guy is just he's one of those guys who like so many people who come 
on the show and they just smash stereotypes. And that is to say, uh, man, woman, big, small, young, old, it really doesn't matter. Jiu-jitsu smashes whatever stereotypes you might have around who you think is going to do it. But that sort of feels like all of our guests, his whole life. I mean, the guy's this really, he's been this really formidable guy his whole life. But then he goes on to spend 14 years teaching special needs children. And he's just got a, you can simultaneously see his strength and his tenderness hand in hand. He's a good man. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for you to listen to this conversation. I feel like this is an example of respectfully to you, Tom, 75 older, right? Oh, that's part of, you know, Part of this incredible story is is him getting his black belt at at 75. But so he's this strong, formidable, good-hearted man who just is so tender-hearted. And uh, he is not afraid to show the world his strength, but he is simultaneously not afraid to show the world his tenderness. And so both come out beautifully during this conversation. If you're looking for a way to support My White Belt, especially right now during the holiday season, go to mywhitebelt.com and pick up a t-shirt. We have uh, a new women's t-shirt that just dropped last month, and we've got a whole bunch of t-shirts that make a great gift for yourself or for that jiu-jitsu player in your life who needs a shirt to put on to cover their nakedness. That's a weird thing to say. What's not weird is that Listen, for all the things that you're going to get for Christmas, when somebody says, hey, what do you want for Christmas? Tell them to go to originmain.com to buy you a gi, a rash guard, a pair of jeans, a pair of boots, to go get some Jocko fuel and use the discount code TRICK10. When you buy t-shirts, when you support Origin, when you use the discount code Trick 10, you save money and you support my white belt. And we appreciate your support in order to keep going. Oh, I don't want to say that. No, that's not true, actually. I was going to say, in order to keep going, we need your support. That's not true. Uh, we like your support, but I'm going to I'm going to keep doing this no matter what. So if you don't buy a gear, a t-shirt and stuff, that's fine too, because I'm going to keep doing this. And right now, what we're going to do is dive into this conversation with Professor Tom Corey. <music> Professor Tom Corey, welcome to the My White Belt Show. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure, and uh, thank you for asking me. I have so many questions for you, but I begin with, you know, you and you and I kind of had a little back and forth earlier because I know some things about you, but I, I had other questions. And I have this this picture of you as this strong, formidable, competitive man who has done all of these things, had a degree in physical education, two-time All-American. Uh, at your, for your first university, you made the Football Hall of Fame. 
And then the next piece of information you provide is that you taught special, you taught educate, you you taught children with special needs for correct. fourteen years. That's correct. Tell me everything. How did that happen? What was that like? Well, well, first of all, I I I did make the Hall of Fame, but not for football. I made it uh, as a hammer and weight thrower when I was in college. Uh, that's what I was nominated for, and that's that's what I was happy to make the Hall of Fame for. Okay, that's even that's even cooler. <laughs> um, actually, my final year in college. Um, one of the courses I had to take was aquatics, you know, working in the, in, in the pool. And um, the uh, professor that was uh, uh, teaching, uh, teaching uh, aquatics uh, asked for volunteers to work with some special needs children that she had uh, classes for after, after the you know, school day. And I volunteered and, and I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I, I really did. And uh, I had other job opportunities, but uh, I was offered uh, a uh, teaching position in Nassau County BOCES, uh, teaching uh, uh, physical education to special needs children. And, and those ranged all different types of special needs, from physical to emotional to uh, mental. Uh, it was... Uh, it was quite an experience. What was that like for you? Um, you know, there are things that happen that you never, never anticipate. I remember uh, being in the gym one day, and uh, Tim, and uh, I heard I was teaching a class, and it was it, it, this was an elementary school class, and I heard uh, one of the teachers, a male teacher, running down the hall yelling, help me, help me. And I ran out into the hall and he was chasing a young man who I had in physical education uh, in a, at a different time uh, and uh, he couldn't catch him. Uh, so we were, I, I had someone watch my class. I ran out because what happens oftentimes is these these kids may run out of the building and then, then you got a problem. And yeah, I was uh, running after him. Finally managed to catch him. And I wound up having to hold this kid down for, uh, for about 45 minutes uh, because I couldn't get anyone. We were outside at the time. I couldn't get anyone to assist me. Uh, no one wanted to come out and do it, frankly. Right. And uh, finally, someone came after and, and got him. And I said, this kid has incredible endurance, just incredible endurance. I was about 24 years old, 25 years old. I said, man, I'm I'm, I'm like juiced holding this kid for, you know, 45 minutes. He was trying every which way to hurt me and to get loose and everything else. And uh, <laughs> funny story was about 10 years later, that kid got sponsorship by a fairly wealthy family to train uh, for marathon running. He became one of the top marathon runners in the world. So you were just lucky. To, you were lucky enough to catch him, let alone get him down. Yeah, another year and uh, of age. I mean, he was about nine. Uh, I would. I don't think I would have had a shot. But you know, he was a he was a, a very special kid. And I had different different uh, uh, experiences w uh, like that. And some uh, 
some, uh, you know, were, were tough because some of these kids, frankly, had been to uh, uh, correctional institutions and, you know, you, you got them back and you were trying to uh, trying to help them out. And, you know, they, they could they could be very trying, very trying. What kind of kid were you? You're pretty driven, pretty driven man. What were, what were you like as a kid? Uh, I grew up in a blue collar family. You're on I Long Island. On Long Island, New Hyde Park on Long Island. And um, which is just kind of over the city line from Queens. And uh, my my father was a, a, an automobile mechanic. Uh, my mother uh, worked at various jobs to help support the family. Uh, they were all kind of blue collar jobs. Um, and um, my parent, I had two older sisters. They were quite a bit older than I was, uh, 10 years and 15 years. And um, my parents split up when I was uh, six years old. Uh, you know, I stayed with my mom uh, and, uh, you know, I, I frankly, she had me toe the mark. I mean, it was <laughs> this this was the 1950s. And, you know, my mom, we, we had the old push, uh, push lawn mowers. They weren't motorized anyway. You push the reel. And so it wasn't enough that I mowed the lawn one way. I had to mow it vertically and horizontally to make sure everything was squared away. And, you yeah, know, that, that nice diamond pattern, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was, uh, we had some very economically trying times, very economically trying. As in like going to bed hungry or? As in being a little four or five-year-old kid hiding on the living room floor with my mother when we had the bill collectors banging on the front door in those days, looking wow. through the windows. Okay. Uh, you know, there was some, uh, unfortunately, uh, abuse of my mother when I was younger, yeah. which I experienced that kind of thing. Uh, I remember in terms of, you know, developing, I remember my mom taking me aside and saying, you can do anything you want if you just put yourself fully to it. And uh, I used to daydream a lot. You know, I'd be, I'd be daydreaming about different things. And in those days in, in the school system, you had E for excellent, G for good, S for satisfactory. It was either S plus, S minus, P for poor, and F. Everyone knows what that means. And uh, uh, I and there would be one, two, three for levels of effort. So I would get many times E3s, which means I was getting excellent work, but I was daydreaming all the time, looking yeah, yeah. out the window and everything else. And my mother said, well, this is, you should be getting E1s. I said, I don't understand. If I only have to, uh, if I can look out the window and still get excellent work, what difference does it make? Uh, that that didn't go over very well. You know, what, were you, just, what, were you th- what were you thinking about? Do you remember if you can put yourself back there? What were the, what were the deep longings? You know, I, would think right. of, uh, I would think of uh, maybe more idyllic, families yeah what what you'd see on television you know ozzy and harriet or whatever it was uh you know it was it was a you know some some difficult times and uh uh i also would think of you know what what my future would bring you know sports that type of thing um and uh you know as i as i got a little older uh i remember just turning um 13. I, my birthday is November 10th. So for, uh, I had seen, uh, 
I don't know if you recall the old Hercules movies with Steve Reeves and everything. It's a and, little bit before my time, but I'm aware that they are a thing. Right. He was kind of like the original Hercules guys. And they had a yeah. lot of these, you know, 19 fans. I was looking at these guys. Just, Man, these guys look, you know, they, 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 they're built very well. And, you know, I was just, now you got a picture. I'm just 13. I said, they seem to be getting a lot of pretty girls. I mean, you know, <laughs> so, so I said, you yeah, know, I think I got to start lifting weights, you know? And uh, so I started lifting weights about a month after I turned 13. Uh, I got a, a 110 pound weight set uh, for Christmas. Uh, and that was it. I started doing, you know, and from then on, all throughout my teenage years, uh, I would be down in the basement for, you know, two, three hours a day. You're still down in the basement. I mean, yes. I, I, you know, I look at your post and like, you're still, you're literally still that 13, 14 year old kid in the basement yeah, getting yeah. fit. The funny things though, you know, I remember uh, doing deadlifts, I think down in the basement and our basement had a raised uh, uh, floor so that there was concrete and then there was uh, two by fours. And on top of that was three quarter inch plywood. And so I was lifting and I dropped one of the deadlifts and it, it went through the, the floor uh, into the concrete, you know, and I said, oh, mom's not going to like this. I'm going to, no. I, I got to figure something out. So I put a 50 pound plate on top of that flat hole. And yeah. I said, she's not, she's not picking that up. There's no way she's picking that up like that. Cause it was, tough to pick up. So that plate stand that stayed down that way for about seven or eight years. No one ever knew talk about covering up, covering up the scene of the covering up the scene of the crime. Isn't it incredible how as adults we can still, we don't have to work too hard to go back to those pain points from our childhood to, to, to sort of examine how we became who we are. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I always, you know, I, I had some luck in that I had some male, uh, older male friends that, you know, helped me through Little League and, and that type of things, you know, that were uh, very close family friends that were older and kind of coached me and things. But I missed, I, I definitely did miss having a dad. Uh, you know, yeah. as a kid. And, uh, uh, you know, I had friends that, you know, went on camping trips with their dads and stuff. And that was, that was, you know, kind of troublesome. But my, my mom and my sisters really, I think, did a, a very good job uh, of, uh, of compensating. Yeah. So it was weird. I just saw kind of a very similar situation. My dad had a massive stroke when I was 13 and was left severely disabled. And prior to that, he was kind of a difficult, difficult fella. He was a mixed bag. You know, there was uh, there was good and bad. But um, when he had that stroke, the idea of having a dad that would throw the ball around with me or teach me how to fish, that kind of thing, that was that was all gone. But, you know, I, there's this um, this book called The Way of the Wild Heart, written by this guy named John Eldridge. And he breaks masculine development down into these different stages. And he says, the first one is beloved son when you're just a baby. The second one is cowboy when you're a toddler and you just want to run around and break stuff. The third one is warrior. And that's like when you're in high school and you start playing sports, you're aware of girls. So he goes, beloved son, cowboy warrior. Around college age, he calls that lover. 
Uh, then you become a king. That's you're married and you're having some kids. You've got a queen. You're ruling over a kingdom. And then he talks about sage. And so according to like that spectrum of masculine development, you have entered state. You have entered the stage that he would call sage, where you've lived enough to have a certain degree of wisdom. And so when you look over your life, because there are 20, 20, 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds listening to this podcast right now, how does how does a good man who wants to fix himself go about it? Because you've done a lot of you've done a lot of work. I mean, you've done a lot of impressive stuff. Anybody that listened to the intro of this episode knows that you've done some <laughs> you've done a lot. I mean, and now you've got this black belt, which is a cherry on the cake, and we're gonna get to your jujitsu journey. But how does a how does a good man, say 20s, 30s, who wants to fix himself? What what are your recommendations? What are your what are your tips? You know, I think when you're a young person, you, you really are looking at yourself. You have you have certain goals, and you look at almost selfishly how you're going to achieve those goals, and you kind of, at least in my case, uh, you kind of push everything that stands in the way between you and getting to that goal that you want away. And gradually over time, through various life experiences, through other things, uh, you, you, you learn that there is limited amounts of satisfaction that you can have from achieving certain goals. All that does is lead to wanting more goals and more, you know, reaching more goals. Uh, for yourself. And now I've gotten to the point, Tim, where I, I realize that helping others achieve theirs means much more to me. Yeah. I, I think that that, I think that that completely, I think that taking the target and that focus off yourself all the time and, and really turning your turning your attention to the needs of others is maybe even more effective in helping you get to wherever you thought you were going to go. I, I should mention that, you know, I, I was married very young, um, 21 originally. I had two children, wonderful children. Um, that marriage ended after it was less, a little, little bit less than 10 years. Uh, I, I wound up as you know, we discussed, I, I wound up ultimately going to law school at night while I was teaching and uh, meeting uh, a, a, a wonderful woman, my wife. Uh, we had uh, uh, a uh, uh, twin twins when I was 47 years old, but one of them uh, for, because uh, uh, it was an emergency situation, wound up unfortunately having special needs. Mm -hmm. And, um, that situation puts you, uh, you got to grow up. Yeah. Very, very fast. Yes, sir. 
Yeah. Uh, There's no time for playing around because this child, this unique child needs you uniquely. Yep. And so the focus has to come off of you totally and go on to some, some buddy else. Beautiful. Yeah. And, um, I had Pedro Gonzalez on who was a, um, he's an MMA fighter who, who he started jujitsu this past year and he's earned a purple belt in something like under nine months. Cause he was basically, you know, he was like a white belt that was smoking Brown and, and black belts, but he tells his story of being, being a kid and being, getting into all kinds of trouble and then when he was 17, he got a girl pregnant. And he said everything at that point changes. Cause that's where you make a decision of how you're gonna how you're gonna live. But 47 years, 40 how old were you when you had the twins? 47. So you so you have had like these different, you've had these different moments along the way that have been like almost shocks to your system, whether, you, whether it's your parents getting divorced or having a, or having this special needs child at 47. Um, so at that, at that point, so at 47, you had been to law school. Were you working as a lawyer? Yes. I was working for one of the, uh, uh, probably largest law firms in the world at that time in, in New York city. Um, and uh, the the situation was that we knew that the babies were the breech position and we were going to have to have a cesarean section. My wife was scheduled to go. And uh, within a few days, I had uh, was working. Uh, they wanted me to come in that weekend and I refused. I, I said, no, I got to stay home with my wife. I promised that we were going to do a few things. Um, and I did. And then we, the emergency birth happened that, you know, my wife went into an emergency situation and I had to rush her right to the hospital. And that kind of soured me on, uh, you know, this, uh, this concept of, you know, killing yourself to become a partner at, the, at these major law firms. You know, uh, I, I just, uh, the doctor told me there could have been some very, very dire consequences if I had uh, gone into work. And I just, uh, I just am forever grateful I didn't. Yeah. Uh, th- those are, you know, the kind of things. I mean, um, you know, story during law school, you know, what how, what kind of drives you? Um, I, I remember in, uh, in law school, uh, I had done, uh, I was one of the, I'm, at that point, I was one of the top students in the class, probably in the top, two or three in the, in the evening program. I was in the evening program. And uh, I wrote a, uh, I remember this very well, we were in constitutional law, and I wrote a somewhat conservative paper. Uh, and the constitutional law professor was extremely liberal, extremely. And um, she hammered me on the paper uh, be, uh, because I was, you know, touching on some things, which subsequently the Supreme Court touched on also and pushed away from. But uh, um, as a result, uh, my grade point average went down. And I didn't go, there's, a, there's a, uh, an organization in each law school called Law Review. If you get on Law Review, which is like, let's say, an honor society, uh, yeah. you basically 
are assured of almost getting a, a much better position. You know, law is not uh, like medicine. Uh, medicine, someone's a doctor, they, they usually get, you know, they're a doctor. With law school, uh, a lawyer at the bottom of the class, he's going to come out at that time, you know, making $25,000 a year. Uh, the lawyers that are associates that do well, they're coming out, they're making $85,000 a year, you know, and that was, this was in the, in 1988, I think. Um, so I was making at the time like 22,000 teaching, I think. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> well, I, I want to come out and make 25. I mean, like, you know, so yeah. I remember very well when that happened and word got around that I had gotten a, a C on this, in this constitution law course. Uh, it was a four credit course that dropped me way down in the class. People started laughing. Oh no. And I, I said, you you're gonna die basically i put a sign up a, 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 a really literally put a sign up in my bedroom that outlined what i had to do to get to the magna cum laude state and i which meant that i had to get a's for the remaining five semesters of law school and everything i took and i did uh i did and i you know i i the people that were, were laughing, they weren't laughing anymore because I got one of the best jobs coming out of law school in, in, in that thing, you know. Were you because living that, in Manhattan? I was not. I was at the time living out on Long Island. Uh, I was uh, commuting up to pace. Uh, I would teach because I was teaching out on Long Island. I would teach during the day, get my car, drive up to White Plains uh, to in Westchester County to go to pace. Uh, University Law School. They had given me some scholarship money and they had an evening program. Uh, I, I went there and then I would come back. I would study till about 1, 1 in the morning. And then I would, you know, uh, get up early the next day and go to school. And I did that for four years, you know. Okay. So Tom Corey has this life where after his dad splits, he spends a lot of time sort of daydreaming and wondering about simultaneously like wondering about different family situations had some guys who came alongside him but also decided that he was going to work his ass off on building his body and becoming you know and getting an education and doing these things and he had a mom who was kind of saying who was compelling you to step up and do it you go on and you become successful in all of the athletic pursuits that you choose to engage some of those athletic pursuits do include some of the more theoretical martial arts. And then I think it's in 2013 that you begin to train jujitsu. Do I have that right? Yes. And so walk me through the process of Tom Corey walking into a jujitsu Academy for the first time. Well, <laughs> Before Tom Corey did that, he had spent two years training in what's called Wing Chun, right. which is uh, Bruce Lee's original, you know, type of kung fu. The wooden so, dummy and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One day, we're they're, they're doing what they call anti-grappling techniques. So we're down on the ground. First of all, I'm hearing people like they're breathing like they're gonna die, you know, like, because this is like <laughs> body on body, you know. And I had done, because I was a phys ed teacher and I, and I taught also, um, I had done wrestling skills. I had, you know, had wrestling 
matches I had to do in college against other phys ed majors and stuff like that. And I, I remember, excuse me, thinking to myself, if we're ever involved in a fight and that fight goes to the ground, this stuff that teaching us is BS <laughs> because <laughs> we're going to get the. If you try to do this, you're going to get the crap kicked out of you yeah. uh, doing it. And very shortly after that, I said, you know what? I had, I had been watching. Uh, I remember basically back I want to say in the maybe late eighties, early nineties, seeing advertisements in martial arts magazines for the Gracie challenge and yeah. other things, all these things, you know, and I'm saying, Jesus, look at this. And I, I had watched the UFC kind of developing and um, uh, I said, you know what? I think, you know, for the most part, uh, these things are going to go to the ground, you know, not all the time, you know, but a lot of times they're going to the ground. Uh, and ground fighting is something that's uh, really critical. Uh, and I'd really like to get back to it because I, I liked wrestling when I was, you know, younger. Um, so I started to research around, I was working in Midtown Manhattan and I started to research around where there were some schools, viable schools. And there was a fellow by the name of Victor uh, Shaolin Hibero, uh, who was uh, from uh, from Brazil. He had a school in Midtown Manhattan, and it was about, I want to say, five, six blocks from where I was working. So I went over there and checked the class out. And I said, this is, you know, this is hard, but it looks, you know, interesting. Um, and uh, <laughs> I uh, I went back. They offered kind of a sample class, a sample private, and then I think one or two uh, uh, regular classes and incentives. There was no beginning classes. I mean, you pretty you went through this uh, kind of one hour of private class, and I'm 65 then. Most of these kids, I'm looking at them, they're they're probably most in their 20s and early 30s, and I'm saying, you know. Okay. But the interesting thing is, Tim, I never really saw that. I didn't view that as like an impediment to me. I said, you know, I had been doing powerlifting. I had done other things. I I had a good strength level, uh, you know, and I figured, you know, I'll give it a shot. Uh, Little did I know that, you know, there were a lot of techniques that, you know, (laughs) really negated the strength, but, but in in any event, um, I, I did that. Uh, I remember the first three months were really very close to death. I mean, <laughs> it was, it was, it was, uh, remember, I we're remember. trying to encourage people to try to stop, but mine was, yeah, but I mean, mine it, was it, too. It was literally, it, we say don't it, die because you feel like you're going to. You know, no, you don't. But what happened is I remember, I think it was the first or second lesson. I, I went to get out of bed in the morning. I was getting up early. I had to get to work. And I, I, I literally could not get up vertically. I kind of had to roll out horizontally mm-hmm. and kind of like unwind and, yeah. and, 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 and get up, you know. Uh, so <laughs> I was training. I, I, what I found, though, was that I would wake up in the middle of the night and I think of something that I, had happened when I was rolling. I said, damn, why didn't I do this? Why did why didn't I, why I allow that to happen? Why yeah. I kind of like that. I, I kind of was like hooked. Uh, yeah. And, uh, I was thinking about it. 
kind of all the time. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'd find myself, unfortunately, at work. I'm trying to think of some legal issues. No, and so that went on. I, I, I gradually uh, was training a lot. I went to Shaolin's classes. I had a, I, I had um, I took some private lessons with uh, Alex Eklund, who is a, a very good friend of mine now. He has a big a school in Manhattan himself. Uh, and um, uh, he was a, he was a brown belt at that time. And I was training with all these young guys and we would go at it pretty good. I mean, it was a, it was a competitive school. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, I was training probably f- at that time four, maybe five days a week. Uh, you know, on the weekends I would be home. I was living in the Northern Westchester County, uh, in New York. then. so fancy, you know, uh, uh, I don't know it's about fancy. I worked out a deal when I bought this from an o- older couple up here at that time, 30 years ago, where I, I leased the house uh, for uh, two and a half years and half of my lease payments went for the down payment. So that, wow, that's, that's, great. that's how, that's how I worked it out. But uh, yeah. And, and, and I was a white belt for about a year and Shaolin said, I wanted you to test. I want you to test for blue belt. So, oh, okay, you know, I, I went in and in those days, you know, his tests were pretty rigorous because he would bring in other black belts and mm-hmm. other things. And you'd basically get your butt handed to you for a while. Uh, what techniques are you learning? Like, let's say your first, let's say your first nine months to a year. What are the things that this well, guy I, I think the basics, you know, just uh, uh, when you first start. They start you out on the basics, which is cl- uh, closed guard, cross collar chokes, um, you know, arm bars, triangles, all all of the basics. You know, yeah. Um, I, I very quickly came to the conclusion that rather than focusing on offensive techniques originally, I was better off focusing on defensive techniques. Because these people were better than I were was offensively, right? And uh, it was going to take me a while to catch up to them. So I needed to be able to survive. I mean, at, at that point in time, um, you're talking about survival. I remember specifically. You know, it's funny how you remember certain things when you're just starting. But I remember there was a young fellow I was uh, rolling with who was about my size, but he was 23. He was a personal <laughs> trainer. I was 65. He was 23. He was built like uh, Steve Reeves. I mean, Hercules. I mean, he was. And uh, there was one one day where we're. I'm allowing him to play from open guard. We're we're having a rolling. And he kept getting around my back. I wasn't fast enough at that time to stop him from doing that. And he submitted me like five times in a six minute roll. And yeah. I was really, really, uh, I, I remember thinking, walking off the mat, I said, I don't know if I want to come back to this. This is crazy. I'm getting, you know, I'm getting choked out. So uh, I thought about that night and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of very stubborn. And uh, so I said, you know what? I'm, uh, I have very, uh, from, from the training with the, with the weights, 
from powerlifting, from you, you know, thousands and thousands of throws, throwing the hammer and everything else. My grips have developed. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to lock this guy up in the grips and I'm not letting him get away. Uh, and that solved that problem. I mean, I basically, if he couldn't run around behind me, then he wasn't choking me out. And I had other options from the front. And that kind of, when that started happening, I started to feel that, okay, I can survive this. I just have to think it through. You know, what, what, what do I have? What strengths do I have to counteract my weaknesses? You know, obviously, at, at tw- this guy was a great athlete anyway. At 23, he was a lot faster than I was at 65. I mean, it's just sure, there's no question about it. I have, and, this, uh, you know, I have this conversation with white belts all the time, brand new white belts who are measuring their success and their ability to get subs. And if I could snap my fingers and have white belts around the world get one idea, it would be that for your first year, sure, you want to learn some subs. Of course, you want to learn how to do a basic triangle and you want to learn how to do a basic arm bar. But boy, if you can learn how to escape from what John Danaher refers to as like the five primary pins, like if you can have a great side control escape or a great or a great mount escape, right? Like that to me, you have your whole life to be able to set up arm bars and, you know, heel hooks and all the things, all the juicy things that we like to learn and do. But man, white belts, learn how to escape the major pins. I'm still working. I'm a purple belt and I'm still working on. Core fundamental escapes are so are so important. Yeah, and I I I really believe that. I focused a lot on uh, in those days. It wasn't BJJ fanatics. I mean, it, it, you you didn't, it was you had to buy the the, the videos almost. Right, and, yeah. was, and and I had I had my wife was always complaining. I had about one hundred and twenty five. DVDs, you know, this, that, you know, look at this. I don't know how much I spent. I must have spent a lot yeah, of money on this. And, and, and uh, but, you know, I, I think it, it helped me in a, in, a, in a long run. Eventually, as you said, uh, I wound up uh, uh, moving on to more submissions. But survival, I can remember thinking of things uh, that, you know, you have to think of success in a, in a, in a, in a different way, just not submitting people. I remember, uh, Shaolin asked me to roll with a young guy who was six foot three, six foot four and weighed about two twenty. He outweighed me by quite a bit. He was probably about, you know, seven, eight inches taller than I was. Yeah. Uh, and I re- remember he had moved almost, uh, to the side, but I wouldn't let him pass. I had to hold him off for about, which seemed like eternity, for two and a half or three minutes. Now, that and is eternity I, when you're trying to re- retain guard. And I, I I did it. And I got down. I said, thank God I, that's over. I don't have to do this again. So later on in the same session, he asked me to do it again. I said, son of a bitch. <laughs> 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 and he just... You know, you know, a little bit of torture there. But a, a, anyway, you just learn those things. And and as I as I started to develop, I saw things. I actually put together several PowerPoint presentations, which I, I said, this is how, what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to go about it. This is what my strengths are. This is what my weaknesses are. This is how I'm going to use my strengths to overcome my weaknesses. I showed them to Shaolin. And I showed him to Alex, my coach. I said, 
you know, help me work on this. This is what, this is my plan. And uh, one of the things was to win, to win a, a Masters World Championship, which I was, thank God, successful in doing in 2018. But, but you know, it, it was all kind of, I've got to, I've got to think this through. How am I going to approach it? I, I, you know, it's not, it's not something where you just go in there uh, and bang heads all the time. Mm. You know? uh, it, what it, is it about? What is it about this whole thing that you find compelling? Like, why why do you love this so much? Why have you stayed committed to it? What has this given you? I say it, it, BJJ is more, uh, and and I, I I guess you know other types of martial arts if you're into them, but I particularly like BJJ because I find it is in essence body on body. <laughs> you you're you're, you're basically. Yeah. Uh, what I liked about football was contact. You got you have contact all the time with people, and you and you have to be in very good condition for to be able to absorb that contact all the time because you have another person, you know, fighting very hard against you to try to prevail. Um, but it's not even so much the physical aspects of it; it's the benefits. I think because in life, all of us find ourselves in very difficult positions from time to time, um, having nothing to do with the martial arts or anything else, but just life. Uh, and I think BJJ engenders a feeling in you that you can survive difficult circumstances if you can just, and prevail, if you can just hang out, hang in there, you know, and this is, this is what's important to me. And I think now from my perspective, look, um, there's no way that someone who is my age is saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm a black belt. I'm going to take on a good purple belt who's 24 years old and I'm just going to take him to school. That ain't, that ain't happening. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's just, we have to be realistic here. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, sometimes I'll prevail. Sometimes I won't. It just really depends on the circumstances. If I make a stupid mistake and, or if he makes a stupid mistake. Yeah, we've got guys that are blue belts. You know, I'm a 50, I'm going to be 53. I'm 52. I'll be 53 in a couple of weeks. And I'm just like, I get these guys that are just, they're nightmares. And I go in and I, I train with them. And, you know, sometimes I win, sometimes I lose, but they're just, you know, they got, they got, if 10 to 15 years younger, they're they're ripped. They're competitive. They've been athletic their whole life, and I just can't measure. I can't measure my success and growth over whether or not I'm tapping to my my brothers or sisters in jujitsu. It's just not the bottom. I, the bottom line here, Tim, is it, it really does not. As you get older, you, you kind of look, and, and it's funny. I, I've read some things by Hicks and Gracie. And uh, some other people, then they acknowledge that that they've moved in a kind of a higher frequency when they when they look at this from uh, ways. Uh, and I think um, I don't know if you were familiar with uh, Dao De Jung, uh, which is a, a, a very ancient book of Chinese philosophy. I know that it exists, and I and would mispron- I, I, and I know I, how to mispronounce the title. I, I read it quite often. It's very kind of esoteric and meta- metaphysical, but it allows me to 
kind of see things in a different way mm-hmm. and uh, realize, you know, take a long view of things. So, so you may have a bad day. And, you know, when you first start, you have a bad day. Oh, God, this is terrible. I don't know if I can do this anymore. I'm getting killed. Uh, but then you realize it. And I think as you train longer and longer, you realize, hey, you're going to have some bad days. You're going to have some good days. It's a journey. It's not a flat plane. You're going up, you're going down, you're going up, you're going down. And, you, you know, you have to plan. If you have something that, that uh, I'll give you an example. Right now, as you get older, uh, when you get into your 70s, you're going to have to find that arthritis is going to be an issue, especially as you, if you have been in an active athletic career your whole life. Your joints are going to start having some issues. Other things are going to start happening. The flexibility that you might have had in those joints is, becomes much more limited. When somebody uh, in a normal situation says posture up and guard, meaning leaning back and going up, you can't do that that easily because you can't lean back that far. Right. Uh, you know, you're, you, right away you're over. And when you do that, your center of gravity changes and it's much easier for the bottom fellow to sweep you. Right. Um, so I was working with my, uh, with my uh, current professor, Dana Weisberg over, over at Submit in uh, Norwalk, Connecticut. And I said, listen, this is a problem I'm feeling I'm having. Can we work out something uh, that would avoid that situation uh, for me? Um, and we came out with something that I'd never seen before. I'm sure a lot of people haven't, but it's, it, it's pretty effective. Uh, uh, which is basically when I'm in the top, someone's got me in full guard and I'm in top, I flatten down like a pancake so that all of a sudden I'm flat to the ground and you can't really sweep me. Uh, Now it it gets into a Mexican standoff to a certain extent, but there are things that I can do from there, including toe holes and other things that are very unconventional. I remember when I did this one time, the first time rolling, the young fellow who was in his mid-20s that I was doing, he says, where did you get this shit from? You know, <laughs> just, you know where did it come from? Uh, and these are things that we call and I call sustainable jujitsu. Yeah, all jujitsu is adaptive jujitsu because yeah. every technique works in the context of the, the unique context of the practitioner. Yeah, exactly. And I think you the body types – you know, the worst for me, when you're rolling, you get some guy who's like a spider. You know, he's got, he's tall. He's got long limbs. They're thin. Uh, it, it becomes very problematic. You know, it's much easier for me with somebody who's kind of a similar build to, I have, uh, to what I have. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, you know, we need to uh, we need to adapt and think of that. But that's what keeps me interested. I think evolving, uh, trying to outthink things. Uh, trying to see this as much be uh, much more value off the mat than on the mat. You train gi and no gi. I train mostly gi. Uh, I did do some no gi training. I like gi much better because number one, I started on that, and uh, it, it it was uh, the primary way I started when I first started. I also found that having a gi kind of gives me an advantage. Uh, you know, I can, having no gi is much more of an advantage to someone who's younger. They're, you know, faster. Having a gi, because of my grip strength uh, and other things, I, allows me to slow people down and control their movements 
uh, a lot more than, you know, when you have a nogi. Our uh, academy also, has gone way more nogi. And so I've had to, I've had to get, I've had to, uh, over the last few years, I've really learned to appreciate nogi, but I love yeah. ghee for the reasons that you're describing. You can yeah, also when, when you're, uh, as you get more arthritic, okay, which will happen. I'm sorry to say that. Happens to um, everybody. Yeah, nogi can be very, very explosive. Uh, and when you have that explosive movement, when your joints are arthritic, it can lead to some significant problems, uh, you know. So although I appreciate it and I have done it, uh, my favorite is gi. Yeah, me too. I, yeah, it's, uh, it's just uh, I practice a lot of those techniques. And I think as you get older, it becomes a, a, a more feasible way of you of you training. What was it like to get a black belt at 75 years old? It was a, it, it was a blessing, really. Um, it's a big know, deal, Tom. It's a big deal. I was training. Uh, I had been, you know, had gotten to a brown belt. I want to say in about five, five years, something like that. Uh, I, I, I was a, a, a white belt for a year, a blue belt for a year and a half, uh, a purple belt for about two and a half years, I think. Um, and then I got promoted to brown belt after I had won a, the world championship. Um, and just before the pandemic, I had gotten two, uh, two stripes on the brown belt. Uh, then came the spring of, of 2020 and everything shut down and locked down. Yeah. Uh, and because I had to be very careful, as I mentioned, I had, you know, someone who could be compromised physically by that situation, by COVID. I, I really had to back off in terms of uh, potentially exposing. Whereas if it was just me, I, I, I probably would have just bitten the bullet and kept going. Uh, but uh, so I came back and I was really chomping at the bit to, uh, uh, to find a school that I, that, that, you know, I, I, I liked and, um, uh, get back into training. So I was very, very, uh, pleased and happy to find submit, which is frankly about 20 minutes from my house, which is great, but nice. also, uh, Dana Weisbrot is a is a very good man to work with, very innovative. Uh, and I explained what I was trying to do, and, and you know the, the issues I was having, and we would work through things. When I got the black belt, which is interesting, two uh, one of the fellows that gave me my original lesson down in New York City came up to be at the ceremony, and then another fellow that was. Uh, has a owns Bronx Jiu Jitsu, Junior Ortega. He he was a purple belt when I started. He's been a black belt for quite some time now. He's his own school, but he came up. Uh, and you know, I had a couple of friends. I had some family members come to the ceremony. It was a, uh, it was very moving, uh, very moving. Uh, Did you cry? Yeah. Did you know you were going to get it? I did know I I was going to get it because. Uh, People had called up Dana and said that they wanted to come. 
So they had to know when they were traveling. I had people coming down from Massachusetts. They, they were traveling and they wanted to know when it was going to happen. Um, you know, uh, that fact that I knew it was I was going to get it was a little unusual, but it didn't stop me from crying. I mean, yeah, I, no, I get it. No, I, I listen. I see our guys. I get emotional when when our guys get promoted. I just um, yeah, I teach beginner adults Monday and Tuesday nights. And a couple months ago. My my professor let me award some blue belts. You know, he was there and he tied the belts on on the students, but he let me make the speeches. And I, I think that I get as moved. Hell, I wanted to cry when I got my first stripe on my white belt all those years ago. It's just it's such a it's such a um, you work so hard and you work with these people and it's just uh, we know we you and I both know that it's not about the belt and it's not about the stripe. But that moment that marks the time and the effort that you've put into it, it, it really it really means a lot. So for you now, 75-year-old, Sage. You just turned 76 in November. You 76-year-old. 76 in November. Uh, Tom Corey. What do we say? What do we say to the person who is in their 50s and they think they're too old to start or they have all these excuses that they're making? Well, you know, I I said, you know, when when you receive a black belt, um, I mean, Dana gave kind of a, a talk, uh, you know, before he tied the belt on me. And of course, I I gave a talk after I received the belt, you know, between sobs. And um, one of the things I said was that really there are two things that you, 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 you need to have is motivation basically uh, is, is important, but it's also basically commitment that you are going to be committed to this. Yeah. It's not a, a passing through. There's going to be good days and there are bad days. And you, 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 you know, you may be, you could get hurt. Even I, I had hurt several times, uh, but you're going to come back. I mean, you're going to come back. A quick story, Tim. You know, I, a few years ago, I I had some bouts with kidney stones, which are very, very uncomfortable. My and, girlfriend has them, yeah. Yeah, and it was, a, I guess, about six, eight months before I was awarded the, the black belt. I'm rolling, and I, I roll, and all of a sudden I feel, oh, and I feel stick. I run into the bathroom at the place, and I throw up. And I'm in, in all the years that I have been training in all the sports and everything that I've done, wind sprinting for, you know, I can't have, I never threw up after anything like that. Yeah. Then I come out, I roll again and, oh man, I got to, I go in and throw up, you know, and then I come back and I roll, I roll again. I'm not going to let the throw up stop. But it turns out I was passing a kidney stone oh, and I didn't no. realize it at the time, you know? So the, the point is that we, we we're a little bit, you know, we're, we're outliers. We were, we're all in this sport and in this activity outliers. People look at you and say, what the hell is, especially as you get older, the older you get, say, what the hell is the matter with you? Right. I, I had people come up to me and say, you know, why do you feel you have to do this at, at this age? You know? And frankly, my answer was because I can. Yeah, that's uh, and, great. And, I love that answer. And then, you know, there's a, there's a saying that's, I think I've heard many times before, but I've used it is that 
people that understand, you know, uh, basically uh, people that understand, you know, there's no need to explain. People that don't understand, there's no explanation that's possible. And, you know, there, there really is nothing. There's something inside of you that drives you and guides you. Good days, bad days, whatever. You may stay away. You may get ticked off and stay away for a day or two, whatever it is. But there's something that's it's like the minute I think I'm out, they pull me back in. It's that kind of a feeling. And there's also a, a, a very significant camaraderie. Some of the best times in jujitsu I've had is after we've been training. I'm, I'm dripping wet. There's <laughs> sweating all over the place. Uh, you know, Shaolin in, in Manhattan, in Midtown, you know, Manhattan's hot anyway. Yeah. He had this, the Rio technique where he would, he was from Brazil. So he would keep all the windows closed, shut the air conditioning off. It's like 95 degrees in the summer. And you are rolling like to beat the band, and and there's pools on the uh, on the mats, and you yeah. come off of there, and you're dripping wet, and you're just sitting there and just totally exhausted. And it's, man, I'm, I'm like on a high, you know. It's, like, it's, it's the really, best. I know. This is it. So that, and you know, I I think what I what I said to you in terms of getting the black belt is saying I had somebody say to me, "Well, what's your goal now?" I said, "Well, you know, maybe my goal is." to help other people reach theirs. That's it. I mean, that's what I, you know, I, I think people always question when, when we're young, Tim, all of us have like I did dream about what we were going to be. We have certain things that drive us. Maybe we want to be, uh, you know, go to West point. Maybe we want to be a doctor. Maybe we want to be a construction, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and somewhere along the way, life gets in the way. And we kind of lose that ability to dream. Uh, And, you know, I think that that's always in us. And it produces a sadness as we get older that we never really gave it our best shot. And and I would like to people, help people, not necessarily only in BJJ, but, you know, primarily in there, to realize that they don't have to give up on those dreams. That they have to alter the, the way they approach the dreams. But, you know, you can you can reach them. You just have to be willing to pay the price. I mean, there's a price that has to be paid. And it's the price we pay for the life we lead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You as you you get older, you have other people that you have to consider. You can't, you know, as I said, when I was younger, it was, you know, full boots ahead. But as we get older, you know, we 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 basically have to consider the others in our life and do the best we can. Tom Corey, you're a gentleman. This conversation has been an honor. Uh, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh, for your willingness to come on and have this conversation. Tim, thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking. Uh, anyone who sees this and is having some questions about how they want to do or how I did it or anything else, please feel free to reach out to me. You can we'll send, send them me your way. We'll send them to your Facebook group as well. And yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks, Tim. Okay, so that was our conversation with Professor Tom Corey. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got a lot out of it. I'm not going to go on and on and on. Go to mywhitebelt.com. Sign up for My White Belt Wednesdays. And until next week, I'm your host, Jim Trick. This is My White Belt. Train hard and train smart.